Hi, Tom. Well, the the longer the better. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, it's it's down to ninety nine degrees outside right now. Ah. It was high. It topped out at 112 today. Very nice. (laughs) (laughs) I have a relatively short number of topics this evening, which tends to always be a good kind of way to do these things. But I was wondering if you had any topics that you wanted to... Really? How odd that you would would start off by saying something like that. (laughs) Well, um, actually... I, I do have a couple. I want to revisit something, uh, this net neutrality stuff, because yes. because I really don't understand what you were saying. Okay. And I'm trying to figure out, let me just ask if, if this makes any sense to you at all. I mean, because mm-hmm. the way I've seen it phrased or put is that companies like, for instance, Netflix or YouTube, mm-hmm. which use a huge percentage of the globe's bandwidth, yes. uh, they, some people think they should pay more, uh, you know, to get, you know, basically to pay for all that shit. Yes. And, um, and other people think, no, it, it should all be, you know, just one rate for everybody. Yes. And, and apparently you don't think that has anything to do with it? I think it's a, my view, and we talked about this last recording. Yeah, yeah I know. The real issue is antitrust. And the reason that this isn't discussed as an antitrust issue, which would tackle what you've described, but would also tackle Google. Well, but I'm, I can say, I, I, I'm just, I never hear, I mean, you are asserting that this is all about Google. You're the only guy I know who's, who's saying that. So well, I'm, I'm trying probably to... the only person you know who's firstly had a reason to work with Google, has had a reason to work with the EFF. And when these organizations make commentary like they make commentary, I bring it almost immediately into question. And then. Fine. I, I guess I'm just, I'm just trying to give, put some perspective as I understand that you know what you know from your perspective. My experience. Whatever you want to call it. Okay. Yeah. Well, actually, your story about your experience, if you want to get technical. Well, please, <laughs> please assert that of everyone else you talk to about and, this. Oh, issue. of course. And, yeah. And that's true of me, too. Of course. That's true of everybody. Yeah. But I mean, that, that I think is important. Anyway, um, since nobody else talks about it that way, then I'm trying to figure out what the issue is. I mean, if, if I take a superset view and the, the, the net neutrality thing as it's framed, is complete spin. I think you can tackle this plus the elephant in the room, which is Google, by looking at this in terms of antitrust. And the problem with antitrust is, firstly, it's a historical legacy thing, because funnily enough, you know, Google and these other super companies like the cable companies and all the other, you know, potential baddies in this kind of discussion all lobby the government. So the government is is hesitant, if not neglectful, in terms of looking at antitrust scenarios. Listen, listen, I completely agree with you on that issue. To me, it's not even antitrust. It's an issue of capitalism. Well, it's it's (laughs) curious because, no, look, antitrust comes from capitalism. I mean, you can't argue that the U.S. was anything but capitalistic well, what, through yeah. the 1950s. Yeah. No, I'm not arguing. You. Yeah, I, I'm just saying uh, that if you want to talk about large issues, then then I I would I would say talking about antitrust is still not really dealing with the fundamental issue of capitalism. Yes, I guess so, my concern when people use the term net 
to mean, I guess, internet and neutrality to mean neutrality. The notion that Google is a neutral player in this and has spun it. I don't even hear them mentioned. I hear Netflix and YouTube. Oh, well, isn't that amazing? Yes, isn't it? You never hear actually the company that started this whole net neutrality thing and worked with the EFF with their lobbyists in Washington. You never hear that mentioned. Isn't that curious? And what's even more curious, which is why I get particularly passionate about this issue, is that all the supposed intelligentsia, all the supposed, you know, wired folk and what have you, all the blogs, what have you, are so totally on the Google teat with regards to this issue that no one seems to be talking about this seriously. Well, yeah, see, what I'm trying to get here, though, is that it seems that actually you're not even talking about the same issue that everybody else is talking about. You're talking about something completely different. No, not at all. What I'm talking about is a superset issue. The but that's not, that's, I'm saying that's, a, that's not the issue that's being dealt with. Yes, it is. What's being dealt with here is the notion of corporations controlling the internet and extracting money for their own benefit against the notion of the free internet. Now, we've talked about the free internet previously. Let's just talk about the neutral internet. And in this discussion, I find it astonishing, and Google has paid many, many millions of dollars for this luxury, but I find it astonishing that no one ever talks about Google in the net neutrality discussion. Well, because it doesn't appear to really... Well, only insofar as they own YouTube. Well, interestingly enough, Google basically bankrolled the terminology of net neutrality, the hysteria associated with net neutrality, and also the EFF that is rolled out periodically to be a supposedly neutral organization to comment on the issue of net neutrality. I think it's a term that needs to be, because it's been so heavily polluted, is virtually meaningless in a discussion associated with what happens with the independent internet, the neutral internet. Well, but what I'm talking about, though, is there are pending FCC rules that are apparently, you know, being negotiated and planned and thought out. And is that not what we're talking about? Exactly. But here's my question to you associated with this. Why isn't Google or why isn't the regulation of the stuff after the first 10 feet part of this net neutrality discussion? Why is it all associated with this small component? Well, I heard, uh, yeah, yeah. And I I heard a really interesting argument, uh, I don't know, yesterday. And it's so obvious, it's hard to imagine why. Why are they talking about going after companies? Why not just charge the end users? I mean, if you're going to be capitalist about it, then just charge the fucking people at the end who are down like shit. They're going to fuck me over good. I download a couple terabytes a month of crap, you know, and most people just surf the web and stuff. But why don't, what would, why is it that no one's even suggested that? The issue here has been, I mean, there are so many similar kinds of cases, but the issue here has been so heavily refined the terminology so tightly controlled by a series of, you know, spin doctors that it really, to me, the hysteria associated with it and what have you seems completely removed from the experiences that I have had. And 
you know, I, I think the problem with the net neutrality movement, as it's, you know, described in terms of popular movement, I mean, everyone, you know, even, even the president was in favor of net neutrality before he was the president, you know. So my view is whenever you see a large group of people going towards a phenomena like net neutrality, it kind of begs a little bit more questioning. Well, really, that's, that's, yeah, that's good standard operating behavior. Yeah. But I mean, exactly. I, I'm pretty much committed to that proposition, as I think you probably know. Well, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, so I'm just trying to understand what it is they're talking about, not what it is you're talking well, about. Well, it's very curious, that because what is. they're talking about, I mean, it's a bit like... <laughs> What they're talking about, I think, is relatively meaningless. And it's a, it's a degree of legislation that ultimately, you know, probably will not affect us in the ways in which, you know, folks in the kind of popular discussion associated with this. Well, the only referred. thing that matters to me, mm -hmm. I mean, really, is how much I pay to do what I do on the Internet. I, I have a slightly disagreeing view from that. My really? view is that... My ability to access the breadth of the internet is the most important aspect of my use of the internet. My ability to find obscure bits of information through the internet is the distinction between the internet and network television. <laughs> and historically, network television was a wide variety of independent you know, voices, I mean, for a period of time, you might <laughs> even still remember public access cable. I mean, there was a wide variety of ways that people could actually yeah. get their information out on the television. And my view is that none of the participants here are interested in, uh, you know, noble ape. None of the participants here, in terms of the general dialogue, are interested in Gendo. This is not an argument anymore about the kind of freedoms, the kind of neutrality that I would like to see through the oh, internet. Wait, anybody, Instead, but can, anybody can just go type Gendo into Google and find... Well, all sorts of shit. More, I'm surprised how much shit is out there but about For a period of time, they couldn't do that with Noble Ape. Well, I, okay. I don't know. You know, we've been through that. I, I, I'm not going. You know, I'm not going to argue about that. I, I'm just giving you my experience. That's all. Well, I'm giving you my experience. Yeah. I'm saying if people couldn't find your work on the internet, yeah, I would be upset. Yes, and you would begin to question actually a wide variety of the premises that are, are used in the discussion associated with this whole net neutrality thing. Well, I'd first try to find out who. You know, how did it end up that my stuff is not being found, and why? Well, I, I, I did that. I tried to do that as much as I could, and in the end, through perhaps a variety of sources, uh, my stuff was brought back on, on Google searches. However, I have there's no transparency because I'm dealing with a faceless corporation oh, I know, I know. that exists in that light. Now, well, if you say you know, you know, but this is what this no, is. No, I mean, internet... no, no, I was agreeing with you about that. I, I mean, know, almost this anything is what like internet neutrality is is about. I mean, if it's not about my ability to create content and have people find but that's the not, content, not, okay, that's your definition. Nobody else is talking about net neutrality the way you are. Well, I understand <laughs> that 
that what you're talking about is reasonable and probably a more interesting way mm. of thinking about mm. it. But that's not the issue. The responsibility is yours then, Heron. I've, I've given okay. the idea. No, you've given me. Yeah, no, I, if you I want to run with it, if you want to talk about this as an idea, you are free to do so. And feel free to reference yeah, well, these donate recordings. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so my question then is, just to make sure whether or not I understand their argument as mm-hmm. being primarily one about charging different rates for different people who use more or less bandwidth. And, and whether that's a good idea or not. That seems to be the way they're talking about it. Am I correct in that yes. assessment? Yes. Okay, good. That's what I, that's all I wanted to find out. See, that's the thing I was confused. I, I realized all this confusion, at least in my, for in my head from last week, was we were talking about two entirely different things. No, I would argue that my perspective here is a superset of a highly refined subset of discussions that are being yeah, marketed yeah, as net neutrality. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it, like I say, but I would say that even yours is just a subset of a bigger superset I'd rather talk about. Well, so, yeah. you know, uh, but again, those are just different. They're not the same issue. These different levels of analysis are not the same. You can't equate them. If everyone else is talking at one level, your job is to convince them to talk at a new level, not try to, well, anyway. That's what I'm trying to do, Heron. Yeah. yeah, okay. Well, then you need to make that clear because I thought you were trying to answer my question and you weren't. You I were answering a different question. No, my, my answer is that antitrust, not this legislation, is the way in which to answer both the popularly described net neutrality issue yeah. and also the super Why don't you issue. write an essay on this and publish it somewhere? Because I don't write stuff anymore because people don't read it. I've written Well, some countless... people do. Well, I have actually. You can go to noble8.com. And you can mail it directly can... to certain people. No, noble8.com slash googleblock.html. That gives yeah. the information associated with my experience with Google, the no, I'm, EFF, I'm talking about your analysis of, of uh, net neutrality. It's in a recording. In, in, it's now in yeah, two yeah, recordings, yeah, Aaron. Yeah, Point yeah. people to the recordings. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's not for me, so I'm just thinking if this it seems quite important to you, and I'm thinking, it's. I, and I agree, I think it's a good analysis. Yeah. And I agree with you that it probably is a, a better analysis than the way it's, it's being raved about mm. now. But... Uh, <laughs> They're completely unaware of the level you're talking about. Or, I would or, agree. Or, I would well, agree. But I mean, you know, unfortunately, the likes of Cory Doctorow, the likes of the EFF, these kind of folk. I don't know whether Cory Doctorow is bought in, but I'm pretty sure he is. And my view is that these people don't even communicate. Well, again, they're not talking about the the higher level that you were talking. Cory Doctorow they're... was trying to do it. I mean, that article oh, okay. that Lorraine posted was him trying to do it. He was mm. saying, "Oh no, the real problem is Netflix." No, actually. You know, I mean, that's just basically a retype of his article associated well, with Apple and yeah. iTunes. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, look, if the, if the intelligentsia that were commenting on this topic had credibility that I would want to interact with, I might choose. But look, Stone Ape listeners, this is, these are the important folk here, Heron. These are the people who are getting this information, and I empower the Stone Ape listenership to actually change the conversation in their environments and start saying, hold it, wait, what we're being sold here in net neutrality is the whole thing's bogus. It's about, you know, at some aspect to the internet that's got nothing to do with us actually accessing the information that we need and want to access. 
It's just a conversation between well, you know, corporations. You got, yeah, you've got the same problem I have with Gendo. The problem there is, Heron, two percent I mean, of the people out there are really even willing to consider. I've got fifty of these else. topics, Heron. This is yeah. just one of these topics, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I, mean, I, ha- know, I have a variety of them myself. We come here for therapy, Heron. We come here for therapy. <laughs> Oh, if only okay. the world would listen. Anyway, yeah. do you have another topic? Um, no, yeah, that's it for me, I think. So I had two topics initially, and then a third one presented the, to me today. So when we started the last recording, I noted that this was going to be the last opportunity to record from the location ah, that we've been recording for right. a couple of years. That's right. However, I sit with you this evening in the same location, surrounded by boxes, with a kind of Jimmy Rigg <laughs> mic computer setup, promising the Stone Ape listeners that I will be dedicated to getting them a recording, even in these kind of circumstances. We're actually physically moving out tomorrow. That's why all the boxes are surrounding me, and I'm yeah. still in the same location. Yeah. We moved two of our cats to the house before yeah, we Yeah, is he there. still missing? Yeah, he's missing. Mm-hmm. So... This is a cat that I've referred to on a number of prior recordings. It's the cat that likes El Pollo Loco. But he, unfortunately, through the period of time of the past two, three weeks, has really endeared himself to me because when I go and work in the house, he's always right next to me. Well, he has fled. Uh, and from where? From your old place? No, and- no, from the new place. He, oh, was, he, was- he was living at the new place. And uh-huh. basically we had the place cleaned yesterday and the cleaners left one of the windows open and he got out through a second floor window. Has he been uh, prone to running off before? Well, that's or- how we found him. So oh, he was uh-huh. he was a feral cat to start off with. He's uh-huh. always been a runner. So my suspicion uh, is that this yeah. is probably, you know, the well, last interaction. It's out of your hands exactly. anyway at this point. He'll come back or not. But yeah. it made me think. Because I have a relatively nihilistic view associated with these kind of things anyway. And although I have some kind of emotional connection with this cat, I I always appreciate that my interaction with these kind of animals in particular is... You know, because he was a runner to start off with, we kind of brought him in. Well, you gave him a nice life for a while. And if he thinks he can do better somewhere else, go for it. Yeah, particularly in this heat. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Really? You got air conditioning in this place, right? No, in the new place. No, the new place. No, but no, the old place. Yeah, the old place. Where you are now. Yes, but I'm, we've turned it off. So. Uh yeah, it's, was it's it, quite... has it been hot up there? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I'm I'm quite hot currently, so we'll yeah. have to do frequent water breaks through the recording. Yeah. But the thing that strikes me is that it is an analysis that you can use for your entire life. I mean, the whole notion of uh, consistency and predictability and all these kind of things are merely an illusion. Yeah, it's our story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. Well, that's this is straight Buddhism. Mm. You know, this is, <laughs> this is just plain old Buddhism. Certainly, certainly. And another experience that I had through the week that has really changed me is on Tuesday morning, I woke up and I realized that half my body was numb, the left half of my body. Oh, that would get one's attention pretty yeah. fast. Hell yes. And I realized... The whole body, leg, arm... Yeah, face. Yeah. Yeah. Face too. Cut okay. down the face. Cut down the face so I could... Numb. You mean side. like... Uh, just, wow. Yeah. yeah. Just nothing. Like Novocaine, sort of. Yeah, well, I've never had Novocaine, but it just... Really? Numb. Okay. Okay. But and anyway, then, you touch it and... Yeah. yeah. And then... You're only getting one end of the touch. <laughs> thankfully, it's come back, except in my... My hands are still pins and needle and mm-hmm. my face is still a little bit nummer, and my, but my leg is fine and my body is back to normal. Hmm. But it made me... That's it, scary. It made me take note. You know, Damn that kind right. of 
Then yes. Maybe if that happens again, I think I'd be well. Hell, you got medical care. I'd yeah. go. I'd go have a cat scan or something. I'm certainly going to do that next week. I think yeah. if if the if I mean it could have just been a pinch nerve. There are it could have been a million been, things. Yeah. You know, the, who knows? But, yes. <laughs> but it's not. It could be goddamn serious. Too. Yes, it could. It and it could. may be something they can easily do something about, or maybe you're going to be dead in a week. Yeah, you know. Better. Jesus. <laughs> I better oh. remember to edit this podcast and get it out, Aaron. That's that's goddamn right. You better. <laughs> it was one of these life moments where I just thought to myself, I've got to make a change here. I can't have this happen to me in the foreseeable future again. None. How long do you want to live? Uh, that's an interesting question. Go for 10,000. That's what I'd encourage. No, I'm, look, I, I, I mean, you, you don't have to. You can always change your you mind. See, but I've seen a family <laughs> history of mental deterioration. I mean, true, I can do things to try. Well, and you don't know. That. Well, like I say, you can always yeah. kill yourself if yeah. you, you know, if you don't like it. I mean, that's not well, a problem. I'm, well, listen, it's your life, you know. <laughs> you pull the strings, yes. Yeah. You, you do what you want. The thing that. But it, it might be useful to think about how long you do want to live. Well, let's talk about this another way. What it made me realize was, and you need to have this, I mean, I'm certainly this person that needs to have this realization periodically. It made me realize that a lot of the shit that was going on was just meaningless. Like the stuff that was going on at work, the stuff that was going on with the move of the house, the stuff that was going on, you know, a variety of other locations. Yeah. Meaningless. And that, I think, has been very, very enlightening to me. I would think so, yeah. I, I need to have these things more frequently. I had a similar experience in the UK that I've talked about a bit previously. That was chemically. I took antidepressants for about three months to see what it would do for me. Yeah. Did it do anything? Yeah, no, it made me realize that I had all this crap going on in my head that yeah. I didn't need going on, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I took Prozac for a couple of months. Mm. Uh, curious about it. Didn't, didn't do anything to me. Yeah, it is strange, your, um, your body chemistry here. Yeah. Well, no, that, I was expecting that for that because Prozac, that's what it does. It, it, it's a miracle for some people and absolutely nothing for others. And just which camp are you in? Hmm. <laughs> and, and that was the camp I was in. You need to take it for at least 30 days. Yeah, I took it for any... like two months. Okay. And yeah. then you realized that there was nothing going yeah, on. Yeah, nothing. No. Well, the, yeah. what it did is it pre, you know, it ended, uh, premature ejaculation. <laughs> Well, it, it was good for that. Very good. But uh, aside from that, uh, you know, yeah, it, it was, I mean, really nothing. I, uh, I, I couldn't detect anything, yeah. you know, not even some subtle things, you know, it was just, it, you know, it had that physical effect, but yeah. so that was disappointing. You know, my experience with antidepressants was it changed everything in my life. I mean, why, why, I, did, you, why did you stop taking them? Because I'd learned from it, and I oh, didn't okay, want to be on the chemical you, the, the for change, an extended period of time. The change worked without them. <laughs> well, I mean, when I stopped taking it, I went back. I mean, I was on eight hours sleep a night. I'm, everything became more regimented. My entire body became considerably more regimented. Mm -hmm. I've never had that kind of regimentation. It was very yeah. surreal to me because it made me realize this is actually how a majority of the population lives, you know? Yeah. They sleep and eat and you know yeah they have a schedule in, yeah in regular yeah, they, well as soon as their last tv show is over they go to sleep <laughs> yes <laughs> yes but no this has also made me realize that i mean this is this continues into the narrative associated with my changing perspective on facebook but yeah. this experience has really reinforced that I need my own time to do my own thing and all this additional nonsense 
that comes in is is working yeah, against that. Yeah. Getting your values straight. What yeah. are you What are you really committed to? Yeah. What's important uh, enough to give it your time, and what's not? Yeah, yeah, that's um, uh, something I've been struggling with my whole life. <laughs> We talked a little bit about a Metallica video associated with a soldier who was locked into his body, which actually is based on a book called, I think, Johnny Got His Gun, which mm-hmm. came out in the early 70s. Yeah. And Trumbo. Yeah, and then yeah. made it into a, a film. Yeah. Um, having this kind of experience made me realize that this could, you know, this is one of the many possibilities that can exist. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah, you wake up yeah. and both sides of your body are numb, and you're you're not. Able yeah, and to and you're that's it. There yeah. you are. There you are. Yeah. Well, that could be interesting for I don't know, maybe a day or two. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know beyond that. Well, that would be a challenge, wouldn't it? It would Damn. be. A, yes. I mean, as that as people hear us, this would be a challenge. <laughs> but yeah, I guess it. it Made it changed a number of my perspectives, particularly associated with a lot of the like burdens that I have felt. Well, you know, just an aside, I just read something within the last two or three days that Mm. apparently a lot of people in comas and in so called persistent vegetative states are there's some sense now that actually a lot of them may be fully conscious. Yes. And that's, you know, and for a long time, they've just been saying, well, you know, there's no brain function here, or the brain function is minimal, and blah, 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 you know, but it's beginning to look like, well, maybe not. Yes. <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's, that's a tough one. Anyway, go on. So, yeah, I guess it's still too raw an experience for me to comment any more in terms of the kind of steps that I'll take based on this, but it's certainly... um made me realize that even if I don't express certain things that go on, you know, the experiences yeah. that I have in the outside world or through my workaday life. It's they, still registering. They're still having some impact on <laughs> yeah. me. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Which is a kind of interesting point to be at when you're just purchased a house, but you can work <laughs> yeah. through these things, I'm sure. Well, you have to. Mm. <laughs> I mean, this is what you get. So Certainly. you get to deal with yes, it. Yes, you, you have no choice but to I, deal I with it. I think one of the first times, well, there are a couple particular instances. Once was one, the first one was when I, I don't know the first one, but one of big ones was when I canceled my life insurance. Yeah, I, you mentioned just, this. Yeah, yeah. And then another one was one night I actually thought, I, up, up until a couple of years ago, I had thought that I have had two or maybe three heart attacks, mm. really, really minor ones. I mean, I never went to a doctor or anything, but that, mm. that I was really surprised because I'd heard the talk about like having a belt around your chest. Mm-hmm. And I was always thinking sort of metaphorically, but that's exactly what it felt like. And mm. it was just like someone had a belt. You could feel the band almost, mm. you know, it was the weirdest thing, but I wasn't in, in, it didn't, it wasn't like it hurt all that much, but mm. it was just really uncomfortable. And, and I remember going to sleep that night wondering if I was going to wake up or not, mm. you know? <laughs> yes. And uh, so that changed my perspective on a few things. 
So with your VA medical benefits, is that something that you could have investigated? Oh, yeah, I did, in fact. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. And, it, and they say there's no evidence of ever having any heart attack or any problem. Yeah, it leaves the chemistry behind. They can actually pick it up quite yeah quite yeah. well I mean, yeah. yeah 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 he was pretty certain that i had never had a heart attack i mean when i filled out the forms they asked i, I wrote like two or three or something i don't remember what i thought and yeah. so they wanted to talk about that and i explained yeah. it to them and they did some tests and they said no you, you've never had a heart attack yeah so that was nice <laughs> yeah the va has been so wonderful man they've really eliminated several sort of overhanging problems <laughs> that <laughs> you know that that have been there yes. for years. You know, yeah, yes. yeah. yeah. So, uh, how, when did you start going to the VA? Only a couple of years ago. Okay. I, I guess I'd heard such horror stories, yeah. you know, about the VA hospitals that I just sort of. You know, it just was not on my scope. You're in a, you're in, you know, one of the major cities, though, which means that probably you're going to have a better VA experience than someone who lives. Well, in I'll tell you the one, I, yeah, South you're right. Dakota or something it makes a big difference. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, the one I go to in Long Beach is just. Uh, I mean, I I can't say enough. They've been great. You know, they're nice. They, uh, you know, the appointments work on time, and you know. Very good. Let me just open this water and take a sip. We are um, using bottled water, which we rarely do, just through this move. Yeah. And my wife noted that this water tastes like charcoal because it's filtered water. <laughs> I don't actually taste the charcoal. I think yeah. my, my need for water is so great, typically, in these you circumstances. I just <laughs> glug, yeah. glug, glug, glug. It doesn't really matter what, yeah. what it tastes like, just so long as the hydration is taking effect. A few years ago, I went out and bought one of those filter things yes to, to filter my own water before that i'd go to one of these water stores mm. and buy you know five ten gallons at a time it was cheap you know mm. uh, anyway uh it was a drag lugging those things around all the time so it's much easier to just do it in this little two gallon thing i've got mm. But what I found is actually Garden Grove water is pretty good. I mean, I never really had any complaint. It, it was It's always been sweet tasting and nice, yes. you know. Yes. And uh, so consequently, uh, these filters, they're supposed to get 40, um, 40 gallons out of each filter. Mm. Okay. I've been getting like, no, 40 fills, no, which would be like two and a half. So like a hundred gallons maybe out yes. of each filter. I'm getting like five, six hundred. Mm. You know, do the filters because, activate? Do, they, do the filters tell you when they need to be changed? Or? Uh, no. Oh, no, they don't. Well, there's something maybe, I don't know. I don't even pay any attention to it. What, mm-hmm. what happens is when it finally, it, it slows down. When it, ah, as, yes. as it fills up with crap, yeah. uh, it slows down. But the water is so good here that it, it, the filter doesn't seem to be doing much, you know, so it lasts forever. Yes. You know, it's great. I've got, I, I've got one more filter here, and the one that's in there has been there for like three years now, and it's still, you know, passing it through pretty good, and it still tastes good. So I don't know. You yeah. Know? <laughs> it, it is funny, actually, because it's one of the distinctions that I make between people. I mean, my wife grew up in Southern California as well. I, in Australia, would, I mean, the the town I was born, or the city I was born, called Adelaide, 
has some of the hardest water in Australia. I think calcium and various other things are in it, and yeah. it's really, um, it's like a full meal in a glass, basically. <laughs> if you drink but I, where I'm from in Australia, Canberra has had uh, fluoridated water and heavily um, processed water anyway, and I would drink the tap water there, and I drink tap water here. I drank tap water in Vegas. My wife has one of these filters, as, as you describe for the water that she drinks. Yeah. The only experience where I haven't drunk the water was when I lived in Sunnyvale, California, and it was just th- through the kind of midpoint of the boom, about 2000-odd, uh, or actually more of the kind of decline. And for whatever reason, the water was so hard I could get crystal structures to form <laughs> if I boiled it. It was really... Wow. And it was there was yeah. just something wrong with the water, and that's the yeah. only period of time where, through water quality alone, I was forced to... Uh, you know, drink or lug around, as you say, lug around, because it really is lugging around bottled water. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, um, first time I became aware that water even had a taste, I mean, up until I was, I don't know, maybe 12 or so, I never even gave water a, a thought, you know, you just go, I just drank it out of the tap. Certainly. You know? Get some water, you know, yeah. or out the ho- hose in the backyard. Oh, man. I didn't give a shit. But uh, I went to Disneyland. And that water was the most awful tasting crap. I mean, I've never, like I said, I just had never noticed it before. Yeah. That just shocked me. I, I, the minute I got it in my mouth, I like spit it out. I just, mm. it was terrible. You know? Yes. And, and then, yeah, and then I started noticing those kinds of things. <laughs> yeah. So that was after your father or your adopted father passed away, you went to Disneyland? Or was it about the time? Oh, God, you know, I don't know. Um,. I don't know. You know. This is just all in the past, somewhere back in that <laughs> era. You know. Yes. I ended up at Disney. Yeah. Who was I with? I have no idea right now. I just remember the taste of the water. Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. Interesting. Yeah. You know. I have. Yeah. My memory. I must have had a horrific childhood. That's <clears throat> probably repressed it all. Yes. Probably my parents are probably Satanists or something. And. And well, that, that model train story clearly points to Satanism. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yes. <laughs> yes. No, it's interesting, actually, because I, I, I first went to Disneyland when I was about 13. I went with my father and my stepmother because my father was based in UCLA, well, UCLA um, for about a year and a bit. And yeah, I have very strong memories. It's so heavily... My wife lived in uh, Brea as a child and would look at the fireworks on the roof. Oh, yeah, right. The family would go up to the roof and watch. And Disneyland is so... I mean, I proposed to my wife at Disneyland because it was (laughs) such a central... I mean, it is still such a central part of her... Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your whole... Yeah, watching the fireworks. Hell yes, that's great. And they got a hell of a fireworks show now. (laughs) Yes, it is interesting because I... My views ebb and flow associated with the Disney Corporation, but I am I am slightly more positive about them now. I mean, having seen uh, Saving Mr. Banks, have you seen that yet? No. I thought that's, you know, that's amazing. Well, it was a positive movie, at least for me, in watching yeah. it. Um, and I haven't had a chance to see their Bears movie. I think I've missed it in theatres, but when I have the opportunity, I might watch their, their Bears movie, um, which is actually coming out under Disney Nature, which seems to be a new established section that they'll actually be putting out nature documentaries through, yeah. or at least yeah. nature films. I was a bit concerned they had some fellow doing the voiceovers for that, but he's a British comedian, so how bad can it be? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's a wide variety of British comedians yes, now. Yes, there are. There are. <laughs> 
So I really don't have any topics for this evening, but I thought we could um, we could do a deep dive on some ideas. I have been listening back to a few Stone Apes in order to get the uh, 10 to 15 minute snippets together. Yeah. I tried to um, outsource it to the audience because I have a favourite few, but when I go back and listen to them, yeah, it's um, you know, it's slightly more. I, I guess because we've covered so many topics so many times, <laughs> what I try to look for within that is the kind of definitive time that that topic yeah. is discussed. That's a lot of work. That, that's a lot of listening to go through. So, well, well, luckily you've yeah. taken all these notes though. So it's a good man. <laughs> well, good man. The notes are slightly whimsical. Our first discussion ever of Squish and the Matrix, for example, I think is a kind of seminal uh, mm. conversation because it outlines a blueprint for, um, you know, the, the established dichotomy that we've run with ever since associated yeah. with Squish and the Matrix. Yeah, I've been thinking more about that lately, too, mm. about, about how dependent... What's the word? I mean, if we really do create something like the Matrix, hmm. you know, where we just sort of park our bodies in the future, you know, and spend a vast majority of our time literally in uh, these virtual realities that we create, that our friends create, hmm. that, we, that we can travel from one reality to another and inhabit and spend our time creating art and sports and doing all sorts of shit. And, that, and then I'm, I'm thinking, well, do we really need the bodies at all? And, and, and then if the planet again is, is going to be a holistic, well, I hate that word. That's not the word, but a single sort of functioning unit. Mm -hmm. Then the question is, uh, which is mostly the internet, you know, computer systems uh, exchanging information and everything. Is it possible with robotics that we don't need monkeys at all? That the internet could maintain itself, that it doesn't need us to maintain itself. Is, is that a possibility? Well, I certainly have that vision, and I try to live that vision as much as possible. Of course, Tuesday morning came around, and I realized that my monkey did actually serve some functional purpose. <laughs> well, for still. the time being, for yeah. For the time being, at least. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, is a, it is a curious... I mean, I think... Your use of the term the Matrix is very interesting because when we initially discussed it, and it certainly you've reinforced this through future, I mean, conversations since that initial discussion, yeah. is the idea that the internet as it exists currently is, if not at least part of the way there, certainly something that is good, a good analogy, at least in present well, day times, second, to what the Matrix will life. become. Well, yeah, not the movie, the Matrix. No, it's just primitive, really. Yeah. I mean, what we're doing now is sort of, is part of it. It's just the audio part. But uh, the tactile, I mean, everything, I mean, really, what I'm talking about is like the movie, The Matrix, mm. where, where, you know, you can get any kind of fucking reality at, at high enough resolution to saturate all of your senses uh, so that it's indistinct. Well, so that the concept of reality is really meaningless at that point. Well, let's let's take a step back here because, well, I've given my criticism associated with the film The Matrix previously, and I'm certainly relatively critical uh, with the second life experience. The thing that interests me now in terms of this kind of Matrix idea, even in terms of avatars, is YouTube. And the thing that interests me with YouTube is actually these kind of personalized created channels where they have not necessarily talking heads, but where they have people who are discussing various ideas in very much framed in their own environment with their own experiences and these kind of things. Mm -hmm. I think that provides me at least, even in relatively low resolution, although truth be told, most of it's 1080p now. Yeah, yeah, a, it's a, great. <laughs> a strong... Um, 
I don't know how one would describe it, but certainly almost a virtual reality-like experience. It gives me a degree of intimacy with these people and also enables them to frame their ideas in an environment which is very compatible with them, at least. Yeah. Well, that would seem to be a part of the Matrix, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, there's no need for again, yeah, there's yeah, even in in the matrix you may want to make movies. Yeah. <laughs> you know, why not? Did you ever see I made a well, I didn't make it. I I wrote some music and then worked with a videographer to produce a music video in the late 90s. Uh the lip-syncing of this exists on YouTube, but I think I might I'm not, I may or may not have shared with you the noble ape in the environment. There's a noble ape basically on a tron grid with a series of screens floating around it associated with uh, a graveyard, an Australian flag flying, a group of people in coffee shops, and the noble ape is kind of prodding these images with its finger, trying to, fingers trying to understand the human experience basically. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a very analogous to my own experience. I mean, for a period of time, I felt very much that I was um, a passive observer of the stuff that was going on around me and my ability to kind of interconnect these things, very much like the noble ape with these floating screens around the noble ape gave that. It's The video clip itself, the fellow who I was working with um, had... uh, He had three girls that he was dating simultaneously. He was a bit of a nut, actually. Um... And although he had six months to work on the project for the video clip, could have been closer to three, he only ended up producing, I don't know, a small segment of the video clip, just enough to show the the monkey kind of in the environment, maybe a minute's worth or so. Yeah. Um, So he couldn't actually finish the full thing. But it does exist as a kind of blueprint to... um, my idea of noble ape where the human is looking into the noble apes environment, this was a reverse of that. Mm-hmm. And I do think it gives a blueprint of a very uh, visually, well, visually saturated, but also physically removed perspective of a matrix uh, where the monkey, well, the, the observer is interacting quite actively with a number of these environments, but very much just absorbing the information that is coming towards it. And I think your description of the Matrix seems to be more, as you say, more sensual, more tactile, more uh, about... Well, it duplicates our experience in Squish. Uh, You see, this is interesting because... But but not only does it do that, it'll do any other damn thing we want it to do, too. Yeah, it's just the baseline is that it can duplicate uh, Squish so that you can't tell the difference. What is so good about Squish that you would want to duplicate? Oh, no, just, I'm just saying that's the bottom, that's the starting place. Yeah. If you can, if, you know, if you can do that, then you're prepared to start tweaking it and playing with it. Yeah. But if you can't get it at least as good as what we got, if it's not better than what we've got, then there's no point in even doing it. So it's got to at least do what we've already got. It's, well, maybe not. Maybe we could just say head off in a different direction. But I think people will be, again, you know, people have to be seduced into it. <laughs> yeah. So it's got to be just as good. It's got to be better than reality. <laughs> reality, listen to me. Yeah. Oh, God, those silly words just still flow out of me. Like, yeah. I like, uh, yeah. The group that has 
interested me, and I guess they've been a periodic interest, but they've interested me in the past week because I knew that they were out there. I've just not followed them to the extent that I've been following them over the past week. Is the um, there are two YouTubers that are quote unquote preppers, i.e., folks who are preparing for you know the collapse of government and all these kind of things. Ah, and the yeah. thing that struck me about these two is actually, firstly, how politically naive they are, but also how they seem to be strangely compatible with the kind of existing government philosophy. And I've had this criticism. Oh yeah, in the past of uh, you know this kind of survivalist prepper mentality. They're, all, they're nationalists. They yeah, talk about exactly. the constitution. Yeah. And they, you yeah, know, no. yeah, like, like who and gives a shit about that stuff? And they, break. they vote Republican. I, mean, I know it, thing, I know. it <laughs> makes no sense to me. So oh, anyway, it's perfectly understandable. So it's- this one of one of these fellows, and he goes by the name Maine, Maine, not Maine. <laughs> Maybe I should go by the name Maine. Maine Prepper. Maine he- was a stripper, wasn't she? <laughs> Yeah, I thought Mame was actually... Anyway, moving on from this. So, anyway, he has a very curious narrative about... I mean, he explains how, you know, you keep your rifles, you know, well... well maintained Real and all this oil. Kind of stuff yes. and you know you you never put uh, the last two bullets in otherwise the springs will malfunction all this kind of stuff but yeah. he he's recovering he's been in the military for the past 30 years and he's recovering from what he called uh, a TBI which stands for traumatic brain injury mm-hmm. so he was i guess over in Iraq or Afghanistan or yeah. well yeah. i mean he's been working on it for the past year and he's been doing this youtube channel in the you know in its process of recovery as well. Well, the thing that strikes me about his analysis is wherever there's any discussion associated with confrontation with the government or the government, uh, you know, confiscating weapons or these kind of things, he has a very strong line, which is... um, just give them your guns. You know, you've got to work with the military because if you don't work with the military, they'll kill you. And <laughs> yeah, I, I, my well, view, that's rational. <laughs> that's surprising. Well, no, this is where it gets interesting because it is very surprising. It is very surprising that the supposed revolutionary who is looking towards you know surviving, uh, you know, the the armed. He just, and he's got little guns. They they got big guns. He's going to join them. <laughs> Damn right. <laughs> It makes me wonder if there was someone on YouTube who was actively talking about serious social revolution. I mean, serious. You mean violent revolution? Yes. With guns and shit. With guns and shit. You see, these people appear to be doing that. But when you actually watch their YouTube channels, they're actually saying, no, you know, really, uh, it's fun to have guns and all this kind of stuff. But if the government comes, don't shoot at them. Just give them your guns. Well, that's, I would, well, I don't know. Is that a, you, that strikes me as probably a minority of those people. No, no, this is the interesting thing. This is where it gets really fascinating. Returning to the idea of Google manipulation here, ladies and gentlemen, these are, and it's funny because you read in the comments people saying, I've stopped viewing these videos because this fellow says this. And a few comments down, isn't this curious that he's telling us actually that we need to hand over our weapons when the government comes? I mean, the the YouTube viewing public has cottoned on to the fact that this is actually something which is distinctly against what they're looking for. Has cottoned on to this fact. Exactly. That's interesting, yeah. Well, there's all sorts of stories about so-called, you know, FBI and CIA disinformation and infiltrating all the... 
radical groups and yeah. you know yeah you, you can't believe yeah that's not, it's, fuck reality it's it's a meaningless concept anymore yeah <laughs> who the fuck knows what the hell is going on out there that's why to me i've got to talk to somebody i can figure out pretty quickly if i talk with someone unless they are i, I have been caught by there are people who have who have really uh, sidetracked or not sidetracked me? Well, hijacked me, mm. you know, over the years uh, yeah. that I just, you know, was. But you, generally speaking, uh, it's pretty easy to tell who you're talking to. <laughs> mm. At least for me, it is. Like I say, occasionally I've been wrong. It's embarrassing when, uh, you know. It, in fact, it's really violating because how can I say? It? Part of what really makes this fun is being able to be open and truthful and vulnerable and not worry about whether someone's going to take advantage of it. Mm. That's really important. An environment where you can say stuff that might be misunderstood or, you know, for whatever reason, but to be able to just throw stuff out and talk about it without fear of, of, of being attacked for a position or something. Um, do you feel that's the case, though? What? I mean, my view is, I mean, my my default behavior is to assume that my perspective is going to be attacked. Yeah, I know, but, yeah, well, generally speaking, yes, but that's what I'm saying. There are these havens of places where... <laughs> Speakeasies. Where, where it's not that way. Yeah. And, and and I have had environments like that before, and I... And I and I love them. Yes. Uh, and I, and that's one of the things I want to create with Gendo is, is that kind of an environment. And it's a viol to me, it's a violation when, uh, like I say, this has happened to me at least two times, maybe three, where, uh, you know, back in, back in the Skype cast days too, mm. in my early days, where some guy came in asking questions and seemed perfectly straightforward and asking questions, but he really gradually turned it into something quite different. And, and I didn't catch it until it was too late, mm. until, until I was sitting there trying to defend myself, mm. <laughs> you know. And, and I f it really felt like a violation because the whole point to be there was to try to be honest and learn from one another, mm. you know. At least that was what it was for me. And, and, I, and I really I – still, I still fear that in a sense. Uh, it, it, it's scary to be vulnerable when – yeah, there's a part of me that's afraid of that, I guess. Mm. You know, that, that, um, I, I've been in, I've actually been quite a few, uh, places, you know, back in the 70s with all the, mm. the guru shit and the, you know, the seminars and shit. Mm. I, I've been in a lot of environments that, that are really friendly that way. Mm. And it's a beautiful thing. Mm. And, and you don't see that much anymore. <laughs> or at least I don't. Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, people talk about the festival culture. I mean, Bruce Damer has got a podcast now and he's spent two episodes. The first one I kind of liked, the second one I didn't. Really berating the festival culture because yeah. he says it creates warped individuals that don't have an adequate, I guess his critique is that they don't have an adequate work ethic. That they basically <laughs> talk, but they don't produce, you know? Yeah. Well, that's probably true, but that's, yeah. you, can't, you can't blame that on the, well, yeah, whatever. You maybe know. you can, yeah. who knows? Well, maybe you yeah. can, maybe you can't, yeah. yeah. But no, I, I That's guess, his story. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my perspective is that typically my ideas and the way that I frame them have been so objectionable to a majority of the people that I'm around in Squish. Yeah. That I typically now, although honestly, I mean, if someone were to ask me, I would give them a certain degree of candor. Yeah. yeah. But I'm, 
I normally reserve this kind of discussion yeah. for the internet. No, I agree. I agree completely. That's it. Mm. In the in the in Squish, I never talk about any of this stuff, and mm. unless it's real clear that uh, that this is appropriate, but yes. it, it's not very often is it the case that talk that was why that given that talk at Fullerton was so much fun. You know, mm. to actually get in front of a bunch of people and talk at them. You know, yeah, but, yeah. I was recorded probably three weeks ago by a, a, another Model Rail podcast. They were having their 200th episode, and they thought it was a good idea to bring me on. I think I'm very careful, or I try to be very careful when you and I get together. And oftentimes, if things are fluctuating at work, or if I'm not in good space to talk, I will cancel these recordings. Yeah. But through this, for whatever reason, I just decided that I would record with these folk. And I, having recorded it, completely forgot the whole incident. I mean, it was just wiped from my memory. Mm. About five days following, <laughs> five or six days, I was like, oh, I recorded that thing with those guys. It's taken them three weeks, four weeks to put it out. I listened to it, and the, after doing the reflection after five or six days, I was like, I talked about people that might have died on the podcast. That was the first memory that came back to me. I was like, what the fuck was I saying? What the fuck? Anyway. You didn't, you didn't start off with notes, I guess, huh? No, I just came on and we just started rapping and my mind was what I thought was lucid at the time. And this, I mean, it's about, I don't know. I mean, it felt like about 40 minutes. It's probably about 20 minutes of audio, of which about five minutes is very, very strange. The rest is okay. But it made me realise I actually, I basically just came on as if I was promoting Model Rail Radio for most of the talk. I just floored to hear the audio again because I thought to myself, I clearly, I can't do this kind of stuff if I'm just not in the right headspace. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and if the two people aren't on the same wavelength, you know, I, I like that that uh, conversation I had with KMO was just a complete disaster. I hated that. Uh, you ended up I, listening to it. Oh, no, I didn't. I didn't need to listen. I mean, I think I might have heard some of it, but uh, it was just real clear that, you know, he was trying to interview me and I was trying to have a conversation with him. Yeah. No, it's always very stilted in those circumstances. I think KMO thing, and yeah, a similar kind of, it isn't really a train wreck. It's just me being overly me, like unconstrained, like uninterrupted by you, for example, Uh, in an environment where I'm just doing stream of consciousness, noble ape rapping. That was my last, actually, my second to last the last one i did with him was on september 11th which i think was slightly coherent maybe um but yeah the previous the previous two actually my previous two appearances on the sea realm one of which i just got very angry the first one i just got very angry because he kept on coming back to the kurzweil stuff and wanting me to talk more and more about that and i was like yeah i'd much rather talk about noble ape and the second one he actually got me rapping on noble ape which was all this kind of stream of consciousness stuff associated with what was going on with noble ape at that particular point in time but yes, it is a very strange medium, these audio recordings. And I think, you know, if they're not framed in a very particular fashion, I guess we can kind of fool ourselves that we are professionals at this because we do it so frequently. <laughs> you know? Well, we are professionals at doing this. <laughs> yes. Don't get much better at doing this. Well, this is the interesting part because, I mean, I guess, I guess after a small amount of editing, we must seem coherent for at least a small number of people. 
You can fool yeah. some of the people some of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, like I say, I think there there are a group of people who. I mean, I enjoy it. So there's got to be a few other people out there that enjoy it. Yes. <laughs> uh, but I I don't think we're going to hit number seven unless we turn it into an enterprise of some sort. Yes. Well, we've we've kind of dabbled in those areas periodically, but I mean, speaking solely for myself. It's never really ended in a particular fruitful way. I mean, I, I think also a lot of energy is kind of invested in those circumstances. We've talked a little bit about KMO's process, though. I mean, the notion that his, yeah. his recordings are strictly an hour long, which require a certain degree of discipline and editing. Oh, there's a whole lot of yeah. discipline in what he does. He, he yeah. And he's focused on his audience, yeah. you know? Yeah. He, he's, he must do a whole... You know, I tell you, I used to live with that... Uh, juggler, you know, Atsuko, the great love of my life. She'd work maybe, you know, juggling <laughs> maybe four or six hours a week. The rest of the week, she spent 40, 50 hours on the phone practicing, uh, you know, getting flyers put to, I mean, you know, she was a businesswoman. So you've never act, look, hold, hold, hold the recording here <laughs> what was her name the great love of your life i've never heard anything to do with this person oh uh, well the great love of my life atsuko yeah the the japanese lady that i married ah, okay and she juggled yeah she she was she's still as far as i know she's still in las vegas at the circus circus i don't know she don't juggles know. at the circus circus well, i don't know if i don't know that was like Five years ago. How was her name spelled? Atsuko. A-T-S-U-K-O. And I think it's called uh, Nkoga is her last name. And uh, you can find some. There's nothing current. I, I think she might have gone back to Japan. Okay. There's nothing in, that I could find in the last couple of years. But so. you're telling me five years ago, I when I lived in Las Vegas... I could have gone to see the great love of Heronstone's life juggling at Circus Circus. Quite possibly. Yeah. <laughs> Wasted time, Heron. I know it. I know it's awful, isn't it? You knew I lived in Las Vegas, too. You well, did but, not you know, I not like I spend a lot of time thinking about this stuff from my past. You know how good I am yes. with the past, you know? Yes. So, interesting. So, she was a chuckler. Yeah. Anyway, the point is, is that, you know, you, you look at it and you see, oh, a juggler, you know, oh, there's such a free spirit, such a, you know, she was such a tight ass fucking businesswoman, <laughs> you know, I mean, and, and that's why she was able to make it, you know, so when she was plenty on the phone. of it's better than her. She's not the best juggler in the world. She's good, but she sure as hell isn't the best in the world, but she's, she knows how to how to get her name out there and do it, you know? So when she was on the phone, she was doing her own PR. This is what you're saying. She didn't have an agent or anything like that? Well, no, she had, but that, you know, that, yeah, she had a couple agents. I think she had several, but I mean, mm -hmm. she was always, uh, you know, sending out stuff to people and, you know, sending out mailers and things and, you know, yeah, she did it too. Interesting. Yeah, she worked hard and she, she practiced at least two or three hours a day. Uh-huh. So anyway, I'm saying is that when you look at it from the outside, you go, oh, a juggler, you know, they work three hours a week and make, you know, $300 an hour, mm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they don't see all the rest of the work they do. <laughs> you know what? I know a guy called Michael Godot, who is a professional juggler in Las Vegas. He's actually... See, the guy does the balls, right? Inside the... the triangular thing i he does strange stuff but he's, he's yeah he's he's um 
He's friends with Pendulette. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm sure I can travel down this road if I need to. I'm sure, uh, yeah, YouTube, another thing as well. So what kind of things did she juggle? Um, she, her act was called Juggling from the Orient. And mm-hmm. she had, um, you know, you know what devil sticks are. Uh, describe them. Well, it, you, it, you have a, a two sticks with a string and then a, a like a yo-yo like, uh, object that's spinning and you're manipulating it with this the, oh, the, okay, yes. the string on yeah. the end of these two sticks and doing yes. things with it. That's one. And then uh, and she, you know, did obviously the balls, you know, jug, you know, <laughs> regular juggling, but she did a a thing with a parasol where she had a uh, various objects uh like coins rolling mm-hmm. around. She was spinning the parasol at an angle and these coins are on there uh, you know, going around it and everything. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. How does the hermit Heron Stone meet the juggler? Uh, at the spa. Very good. Oh, it was, it was, it was, it was divine providence. <laughs> it really was. I met, I, I saw her at the spa. I was just absolutely stunned. Uh-huh. You know, and she's not really all that good looking, but there's just something about her that just blew me away. And, um, and I thought I'd probably never see her again because I didn't usually go to that spa. And then I went, but I did go. In fact, the, the very, <laughs> Everything comes full circle. The very Cocos that I met Lex, who gave me my Macintosh, I, I, I went there every morning. She showed up there one morning. Uh-huh. It turns out she lived right around the corner from there, which was about a mile from where I lived. Uh-huh. I didn't talk to her at that time, but I, I don't remember how, how we finally got together. Um, that's interesting. It was It was weird, though. I mean, it was all my fantasy, you know. Poor girl. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness oh my goodness yeah yeah right <laughs> yes i don't know whether i delve or whether i leave alone in this circumstance well listen you can do what you want to do i mean i'll answer or i won't <laughs> so this puts it in uh, how long did you stay at that Coco's? You were only at the Coco's for a relatively brief amount of time, weren't you? Oh, it was you? a couple of years. Okay, so this puts it in the mid-80s when you first knew D- also. Hey, listen, you know more about my past than I do. I do, that's why I'm putting it Okay, you're together. telling me. Okay, yeah. so it's the 80s. That because, sounds reasonable. Because my recollection is from a former conversation that the, the things had kind of fallen apart by the early 90s, which puts the dates right because you were fallen married. Fallen apart? What do you mean? With her. That oh. Basically, things had... And we're that puts together, the time we were only together for a total of about from the time I first met her to when we parted company was probably two and a half years. Well, from prior conversations, it was three because you were married for two. Yeah, and I'm thinking it was probably six months before that. Okay, interesting. But but I don't know. I mean, I'm making this shit up, so. Very interesting. This is like the usual suspects. You know? Yes, yeah. So you had the computer... Then you gave the computer back, and then... Otsuka, well, then I had to go buy one. I had to go buy one. You oh, no. had to go buy one. Oh, yeah, I couldn't be without a computer at that point. When he yeah. wanted back, <laughs> I had to go buy him. By that time, the Mac Plus was out. Yes. And uh, so that was the first one I actually bought. Damn, and they were expensive. They too. were. I'm surprised you could afford it on your. Well, the thing is, I've always. Well, I could always. Again, it's about value. You know, or, or you know, uh, yeah, it's about a person's values. You know, yeah, I drive a shitty, fucked up old, twenty five year old car, <laughs> but I got the best goddamn computer. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. And your cleaning business had trailed off by the... Oh, you know, I don't... Yeah, I don't... You know, yeah. I don't know how it sort of... 
none of them ever really worked. I hated the cleaning business. It worked, yeah. but it's just it was soul murdering for me. You worked in the evenings too. Yeah, right? right. Yeah. So it just took up your time. Yeah, my well, friend in Australia had a cleaning business for a couple of years. Yeah. And through this period of time, he went completely nuts because although he was a <laughs> night person, he really became a night person through this period yeah. of time. Yeah. Well, I only work a few hours, so I mean, I'd go in there around seven and I'd be home by 10 or 11. Yeah. It, it, like I said, I didn't work for him. It, it was great in a lot of ways. It allowed me to survive and go to school and not have to work much, you yeah. know? But God, it was just, it's just, I hated it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, and I and then and then I got into the piano tuning, and I never had very many piano tuning customers. But I mean, I did okay for a while. But again, you have to be a business person. Same with, you know, with juggling. Yeah, you know, you're the best juggler in the world, but that don't mean shit about making a living. You know, and I I wasn't even that good a piano tuner. So you know, what are you going to do? Plus, I didn't put any effort into it. So you know, I. I when I'd get desperate, I'd go get a job at a store, uh, giving, because the store would give free tunings to their customers. Uh. They'd have to pay a piano tuner to go out and do it. They didn't pay them much, but you get, you get, basically you pick up new customers that way. Certainly. So I, I do that, you know, to get customers and, uh, and it worked for a while, but again, I just never really gave a shit about the business side of it. You know, I like, I didn't mind tuning pianos. It's not a bad thing to do. But doing business? That's fucking boring, man. I don't want to do that. Yeah, I'm, I'm under the impression that there are just fewer agents now than there were 10 or even 20. I mean, certainly 20 years ago and maybe even 10 years ago. Did this whole notion of having an agent in these circumstances? for a, As a piano tuner? Not as a piano tuner, but <laughs> as, you know, I mean, it's through... Through the more romantic parts of the professions that we may want to be doing, yeah, you know, you need an. Agent oh yeah, that yeah, in, yeah, it would be really nice to have yeah. somebody to do all. Well, that that's really what I'm looking for. I, I know it's not an agent; it's business partners. Yeah. I, I'm I'll I'll take care of the content and that kind of shit. I don't want anything to do with anything else. <laughs> you know, yes. I want I want to deal with somebody that I can deal with openly and freely, who can deal who handle that other shit. You know. And I, I don't, I'd be quite happy to give away a large percentage for that. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, some, I mean, part of the selection of 10 to 15 minutes worth of this stuff putting out in a, in a separate podcast is a means of, I don't know, showing the format to a broader audience. And part of that could be, you know, sending demos or what have you, not even demos. Why would, why would this be separate from the, Stone Ape podcast. Well, it's not separate from the Stone Ape podcast. It just provides it in, in a addition, slightly more palatable a, way. Yeah. I mean, well, it's, yeah. it's a, I, you know, with the view yeah. that perhaps, the concentrated version. Yeah. We've, we've talked historically associated with this Robotech idea. Robotech was a purely created set of cartoons. Um, Saturday morning cartoons for children where they had taken Japanese cartoons and spliced them together with American overdub. But they, <laughs> they, just took, they just took, <laughs> there's an old Woody Allen movie. Yes, no, where you, yes. You put a new dialogue on an old, is that, that's yes. what they, only they did it from a whole bunch of different ones. Yeah, they threw took them three, together and made it up a story together. They separate large series and recreated a completely separate story out of this. To the point where the Robotech folk, and I think Mac Ross, and there were a few others that made this from the Japanese <laughs> cartoons. And I think this is a similar phenomenon. You could actually create a, 
<laughs> but this is not yeah. overdubbing. This is taking our existing content no, no, and just repackaging it. Yeah, yeah. It's just uh, taking stuff that actually is interesting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Instead of the rest of the tripe we put out. Yeah, exactly. No, that's the point, you know. The... the 15 conversations of when will we have 3D screens, the high-definition stuff. I mean, you know, I'm sure there are fans out there that want this. No, kind there's of thing, some people yeah. who may like that stuff, yeah. too, you yeah. know? But the insights and the anger and the emotions and the traversal of all this stuff, I think, is is something that maybe... Yeah, I think there are, is people. a kernel of stuff yeah. out there that, that I think is really quite good. Yeah. Uh, but I think, it, you know, it's like 10 minutes here. That's exactly my point. That's <laughs> you know, exactly my point. Yeah, right, you know, yeah. it's, a, it's a process of actually cutting this thing. Yeah, out. and this would really be helpful if our listeners were, were able to make suggestions on, on yes. this. The because I'm certainly not going to be of any use to anybody here. Yeah, you so. just provide the, the background content. And, I, yeah. I just give you the content, but put packaging yeah. it, making sense out of all this shit. Tom does all this shit, so you people out there, the least you could do Damn skippy. Uh, is just give him a break. You know, oh, If there was something you really liked that you thought was pretty good, find it. I know that's a pain in the ass. Tom woke up this week with half his body half numb his thanks body to this. dead because yeah. of you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. KMO, eat your heart out there. No, we're not We're not going to be twisting the listeners for change anytime soon. But, no, uh, not money. Well, no. that's okay, too. Be happy to take your money. <laughs> Listen, yes. I'll take your money. Tom doesn't need it. I'll take it. <laughs> yes. yes, yes. So our listeners may not be aware of this, but we are actually recording this on Thursday night. And they are now. Usual Friday. And I think this is probably going to be the new blueprint for Stonehack going forward. On maybe, Thursdays. Maybe not. On Thursdays, yeah. It doesn't make any difference to me. It, works it, it, it might be slightly easier for me. My wife yeah. is going to go to a Thursday night quilting group, which will give me time in the sure. evening to do yeah. this. So, yeah. yeah, that'll work. It'll work out. But it does, yeah, it might be slightly, it might, the listeners may be aware of this because it might slightly change the format, at least from my perspective, I think. Because our midweek recordings, a majority of the recordings that we did in Las Vegas were midweek. I think we used to record on a Thursday night. I'm sorry, on a Wednesday night, if Uh I remember correctly. And I I think we only moved to the Friday nights. Mm, Well, maybe some of them were recorded on Friday nights, but when, when we picked up the recordings again, they were, I've all been, except I think for maybe one on a Saturday night that we've done. Ah, yeah. I'm, Considerably more in the kind of who's who's the fellow who invented the calendar that you hate so much? What's the Gregorian Pope Gregory? Yes, I'm certainly more on the Gregorian calendar than Heron is in terms of my you know my cognitive processes. So I think it might be an interesting and slightly distinct recording if recorded on Thursday night. But we'll have to find out how it pans out. Ah, see, to me it makes no difference exactly. at but all. For me, yeah, yeah. I still need to be cognitively alert on a Yeah, Friday yeah, you've, morning, well, you've so. got a we- well, I've got a weekly pattern. I mean, it will make a difference. I mean, obviously, it's just I'm not worried about it. I guess that's all it is. I mean, it's going to make a difference. Yes. But uh, what difference it's going to make, I haven't got a clue. We will find out. <laughs> we'll find we'll, out. The listeners may as well. Well, yeah, let's ask the readers. Do you notice, will you notice anything different? Tell us in five recording time. See, what we should have done is not, well, you could edit this out. We shouldn't even tell them we're going to change the date. Uh, screw it. Ask them in retrospect. Screw it. Well, 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 don't forget this. In five recordings time, we'll ask them again. <laughs> the new recording space is going maybe distinctly more echoey. And I'm actually interested in hearing the new recording space mm. and some of the early recordings yeah. as well. I have, um. Carpeting is cheap for the walls. Yeah. Well, I've talked to my spiritual advisor associated with this because she obviously does quilting. And ah, that's right. Is that that would solve the problem very nicely. Yes. 
couple of quilts. Yeah, on the ceiling, too. Mm. And a rug on the floor, and yeah. you'll have an echoic chamber, an anechoic chamber, whatever they call it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I sometimes have the luxury of picking the themes associated with the quilts. So Ah! It is actually a really interesting um, craft, for want of a better term, because it gives an ability... To create these amazingly elaborate, functional, and unique items. Yeah, yeah, right. It's beautiful. Yeah. Well, like jewelry, same thing. Certainly. You know, you can make these beautiful objects, uh, but in, in some cases they're functional. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, sculpture is sort of, you know, well, that's nice too. Uh, dysfunctional, unfunctional, maybe is a better term, <laughs> rather than dysfunctional. Uh, yes. Yeah, art objects. Yeah, I watched a documentary on Netflix probably about three months ago associated with the artists who make glass pipes. These are pipes yeah. that are intended for, I guess, smoking cannabis. And the whole culture around that is really very curious because they have a almost like a, you know, Hell's Angels kind of biker gang. <laughs> you know, they're, they're the illegal part of, you know, an art industry. And they certainly like to revel in that. The stories associated with, I guess, the Bush Jr. crackdown on glass pipes, which also caught uh, Tommy Chong yeah, and got him imprisoned, uh, was apparently a very bleak period for them, because I guess through the Clinton administration, at least the early part of the Bush administration, before they realised that the glass pipe makers were funding terrorists, um, <laughs> that, you know, these, this was a huge heyday, and all these fish festivals and these kind of things, these glass pipe manufacturers would, uh, you know, sell their wares for uh, a reasonable uh, price and actually make quite substantial profits from yeah. it. Yeah. The good old days. Yes. Yes. It's, well, you know, I'm, so, I'm, you know, I don't know why I'm so optimistic, but, you know, it really does seem to me that it's becoming so obvious that, you know, not quite yet, but that in not too long, almost anybody's gonna, it's not gonna take too many brains to figure out that we could just create a whole much better way of doing things. Mm. <laughs> you know? Just exactly what we, we've got to work out, but geez, this is a nightmare that we live in. I mean, there's a lot of beauty, there's a lot of yeah. wonderful things, but, but I mean, overall, this place is a fucking nightmare. Well, I've been thinking about that quite a bit through the week, in particular because I still have a number of friends on Facebook who are in Australia. And the forced politicization of Australians and the perspective that the, you know, the world is coming to an end because a particular political leader is in <laughs> yeah. power and all this kind of nonsense yeah. makes me realize that actually that is very much a perspective rather than, uh, you know, something that need to needs to impact people. And this whole perspective that politicians have any meaningful control over you. I mean, I guess in, in the extreme cases, I mean, if you're, you know, if you're completely destitute or if you're employed by the government, then yes, the politicians do have some control over you. Or yeah. if you're employed in one of the many services that the government employs, you know, but if you're away from that or removed from that in some regard, these Things, these people need to have no impact on you at all. Yeah. I mean, although, you know, although they're committing war crimes in your name with your tax dollars. With my money, yeah. Which is, you know, vastly suboptimal, particularly in terms of the, you know, long-term vision. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, my view is actually, since I left Australia, I feel considerably more liberated from this mindset of having anything, you know, any meaningful political 
you know, burden or interaction. Mm. And I think now, in particular, I mean, in this country, it's just so surreal how tightly aligned the political parties are, to the point where really, I don't find any meaningful distinction between even the minor parties. I mean, although, well, yeah, you know, the I, issue, yeah, the issue is, yeah, it's just bigger than that. This is one of that subset, superset thing. Yes. The issue is the past and the future. A yes. new world, a new yeah. way, a global high tech civilization that w- without capitalism, with some sort of system that we can all work together and manage to live here wonderfully. And yeah. I don't see any reason why we can't do that, except for these fucking humans, yeah. these goddamn language monkeys. Yes. I mean, we've got, we don't need it. We don't even really need any new technology. What we've got is mind boggling. Yeah. It's just us. Well, if if we could have the opportunity to use the technology to the fullest of its potential. Yeah, instead of weaponry, as Bucky says, to livingry. Yes, (laughs) yes. Yeah, it's, it's, it really, I mean, it seems to me the only real issue is the way Homo sapiens thinks. There's nothing else, no, you know, that, 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 that's gonna, you can change almost anything. And if you don't change the way we think, it won't make any difference. Or am I missing something? You're good at finding loopholes in everything I say. <laughs> I, I guess my broader concern about this thought energy is that, and in fact, this enlightenment came to me through the period where I was taking antidepressants. I realized that there was no thoughts that I could have that could resolve external parties <laughs> that actually changing the way that i thought about things was wonderful but if the external parties continued to behave with their own you know well that's a separate issue yeah what, what how can how can you use your behavior to affect the way they think about things yeah yeah that's a very different question and <laughs> the, the capitalistic paradox is very difficult to beat here i mean this is the problem that we face is that it's not just the way the others think it's that they have this emphasis on on wealth, on the procurement of wealth. Well, but that's a part sense. of the way they think. That's, exactly. That's a method. That's a, that's part of their story. Again, so it's their story. To convince them or to, I don't necessarily want to use the term, you know, missionary here. No, to, yeah, that's fair enough. <laughs> to, you know, to convince them in some meaningful way. If the dialogue is so totally associated yeah. with this capitalism paradigm, is you know a curious thing. Well, I, mean, I don't think it's a pro. I don't think it it it's a rational process. I don't think you can argue somebody into that. I mean, you can you know you, they can understand. That's that that whole thing about cortico-thalamic integration. They can totally get the idea. Yes. As a concept, but yes. if it's not integrated into their ethics and everything else at much lower level of the nervous system, it's just another idea. And it's, yeah. it's got to be both. It's got to actually sink in and and start becoming the basis for new behavior. It's something I've often reflected on associated with Terence McKenna, is that obviously in his presence, perhaps a number of the folks, or maybe that's the thing, they didn't actually see him as being nuts. <laughs> you know, I'm always I'm always wondering associated with the stuff that I do and to a lesser extent yeah. the stuff that you do that people are comfortable with the fact that we might be nuts. Oh yeah, listen, things. I'm comfortable with the yes. fact that I might be nuts. But I knew a guy in college 
who I thought was fucking nuts. Yeah. His name was Terry. I'll just leave it at that. He was big, fat guy with huge, long hair, bald on top, but, you know, three feet long. Yeah. Uh, down there, beard, sort of looked like Santa Claus, mm-hmm. uh, was a psychic, and, uh, all, you know, and the guy had so much energy and so many friends, and he was so fucking nuts. <laughs> but what the fuck? You know, he was having a good time, so I liked him. <laughs> but did people change? I mean, did he change people? No, well, only people who were probably as nutty as he was. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, we both talk positively associated with Terrence McKenna. I mean, sometimes for yeah. slightly different reasons. But he is someone guess, who yeah, go ahead. who could be considered by... Oh, sure, especially given, given the history of a brain tumor. I'm thinking I'd like to know more about that because I think it might be partially related to the way he used language. His language is the most, I love listening to him talk. I mean, that's really what I mostly just enjoy is his, the way he structures his sentences, his vocabulary, everything about it. He also reminds, sounds to me like Catherine Hepburn. Yes, you mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I guess I'm the only person in the world who gets that. (laughs) I don't know. I just haven't spent a quantity of time with Catherine Hepburn. The old Catherine Hepburn Hepburn, who had this sort of halting voice because I think she had, you know, some Parkinson's or something. Yeah. So you mean the young or the old? You mean the old? The old. No, no, he sounds like the old Catherine Hepburn. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I think the thing with McKenna is that he, he lives on through his audio. Yeah, he sure does. In a way which I think is probably, I mean, gives hope to, uh, you know. Well, Alan Watts continues to be all over the fucking place. Yeah. Shit. (laughs) <laughs> and, and and now McKenna and, and well they're all there. Yeah. It's just about wh- who's interested. Yeah. That's the issue is yeah, who's interested. I remember when I first knew Mc- about McKenna, you know, mm. nobody, you know, it was a really small audience and it still is a relatively small audience. You know, I'm always sort of surprised when I run into somebody who mentions McKenna. Well, I think it's an audience now which has grown substantially yeah. thanks in large part yeah. to podcasts. I mean, my, yeah. my friend Lorenzo Haggerty has done more for McKenna, I think. But the interesting thing is that he senses McKenna. So he actually makes McKenna sound more rational now than he did <laughs> when he was originally talking. Uh-huh. He eliminates almost all of the 2012 stuff. Good. And he <laughs> yeah. basically yeah. focuses... There's a core yeah. of stuff there, yeah. 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 And that's in- interesting. I mean, I've spoken to Lorenzo once and I've had extended email communication. I mean, most yeah. recently associated with your, um, you know, map study, your autism map study. But he, he strikes me as someone who has done more for McKenna than probably yeah. McKenna did for himself through his living period by actually yeah. creating these. You may be right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's uh, that's important. It really is. Mm. It's it's yeah. To well, keep the notion that... of relevancy is is what he's and, doing. And Facebook has helped a lot in this too, because yeah. everybody shares their shit, you know, and all that stuff is floating around, you know. So <laughs> Bruce Damer has come very critically against this recently because his view against is what? That, against the notion of Facebook sharing and the whole immediacy that we have now with social media. Uh huh. And his criticism is that it disappears almost instantly. Yeah. Well, that's the nature of almost everything. Yes, it's ephemeral. It comes and goes. But it may have some impact on somebody who sees it. His argument is through the way in which the interaction takes place, it minimizes the impact. Well, uh, well, maybe it could be better, but it's better than nothing. So, 
I don't see I don't see that as a criticism. That's just a that's just an acknowledgement of the limitations of the forum. That's all. You put it out there, somebody's gonna see it. There's an off chance that someone might see it just at the right time that'll totally transform their life. Yes. If it does that, it worked. Yes. And if that's only one person in ten thousand, okay. Just hope this guy's popular. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, of the original trialogues, I'm relatively close geographically from Ralph Abram. I've had mm-hmm. some correspondence with him, but yeah. I've never actually met him. Yeah. We don't go down to Santa Cruz as much as we did in the first year that we lived here. When we first moved here, Santa Cruz was a big draw for us, and I think we went down maybe three or four times for a solid you know, days or what have you. And in the past year, I mean, partially due to the job, but we just haven't been down to Santa Cruz. Really, it's not facilitated these kind of meetings. But I would like to, I mean, Ralph Abram now is much, uh, as funnily enough, one might expect, he's much older than he was in the 1990s. (laughs) And my understanding is, my understanding is that he's considerably more, you know, well, he's considerably less likely to do public talks because I have approached him about doing that yeah, previously. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it is curious that this exists as a blueprint. I mean, if McKenna were alive today, he would probably be very different than, uh, oh, yeah, you know, when yeah. he w- when he was in his prime through the, you know... When did he die? Uh, I think it was 2000, if I'm not mistaken, if not oh, 1990. Yeah. yeah, okay, I, I have no idea. Yeah. So, yeah, nothing. there was nothing really happening yet yeah you know it was just just getting started yeah god think how far it's come in 15 years yeah that's amazing i remember when i got my first email account (laughs) were you i mean did you have a modem prior to the internet did you get into the bulletin boards oh yeah yeah uh yeah what was it uh i can't remember the gopher yeah no no even prior to that there was something called fidonet and these yeah yeah yeah, no i think well gopher was the thing that was around when i got into it i first got that mac uh, and I mean, after a while, I mean, it was a while before there were any applications, but then, you know, I, I remember I had a 400 baud modem mm. that, that you put the phone in. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing that phones were sufficiently uniform that one size that that fits all, yeah, you yeah. know? Yeah. Thank you, Ma Bell, or yeah. whoever the hell it was. That Speaking owned- of antitrust. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. It was a different world back then. Oh, it's just, I remember very clearly, so this was sometime after I did the S training and we were at the S center and there was some guy, some guy, some big wig on the staff was giving a presentation, um, about email. And he had a portable computer in his briefcase. I mean, it was part of the, you opened up the briefcase and the screen was there and Mm -hmm. it was this computer and he could, he could get email, you know, in hotels and stuff by using the phone, you know. Mm. And there were about a hundred of us there. And this is just mind-boggling, you know. He just t- had the phone. He took it and he put it in that boot, you know. And then all of a sudden, you know, he got all these, you know, this information from somewhere, yes. <laughs> you know. Yes. I don't remember what year it was, but, boy, it impressed the hell out of me. Yeah. It was the mid-80s when I first saw that kind of, as you say, the cups that you put the phone in. Yeah. We had a fellow at the bottom of our street who I actually worked for and helped recruit for through, I guess, my mid to late teens. And he was a consultant for the National Library. And he had one of these, as you say, that put it in and you could do emails yeah. and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. 
<laughs> and there were bulletin board systems. Yeah, now that was where I got into yeah, it. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, that, that was yeah. where it because my, my favorite one was called NymphoZit. Uh-huh. <laughs> All pirated software, of course. Yes, of course. Of course. <laughs> Nothing changes. And four, there was a limit of 450 kilobytes. Yes. Or kilobits. I'm not, I don't remember now. It was, it was kilobytes. Bytes. It was bytes still for that. Yeah. And, and the, because they had so many people going there, they'd limit you to 45 minutes and then they'd just cut you off. Yep. So at 400, on a 400 baud modem. You couldn't download a lot of pirate <laughs> no, software. No, no. You, you just could, it would, you know, 45 minutes, you know, you could get a, you know, I don't remember what it was, but, but of course, in, in those days, the programs weren't that big anyway. Yeah. You know, I mean, there were, we were still using those 400K floppy yep. or plastic disks and everything. Yeah. God, that's so far removed now. And I think about that. It's so primitive. Yes. I mean, those floppy disks would take forever to read, to copy something from one 400K floppy. Another took minutes mm-hmm. to copy like 300K. Yes. <laughs> Yes, it's amazing. It's amazing. You could hear you could hear the bytes being read and written. Yes, that's so, right. You could hear individual yes. ones ticking off. Uh, 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 yes, all this is lost. Well, not on me. I still think it's a miracle every time a page comes out of my printer. <laughs> it still blows me away. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I'm still blown away by all this technology. It's so far beyond anything I could have imagined. You know, if I was trying to imagine what I'd really like back when I first got that Mac and began to notice its limitations. Hmm. I mean, again, my first hard drive was a 40 megabyte hard drive. And I was trying to figure out, I mean, I was really torn between this 40 megabyte hard drive or a bunch of RAM. I didn't know which to get. Anyway, 40 megabyte hard drive, a lot of money back then. And I I couldn't imagine what I was going to do with that much space. And now, of course, I have 40 megabyte MP3 files. <laughs> yeah. I mean, most donate recordings wouldn't have fit on my hard yeah, drive. Yeah, yeah, right. You know, <laughs> I mean, that was unimaginable at that point. I mean, that's really a game changer. That's not just a difference in quantity. Yes. That, that's a whole different universe when you can store a thousand movies on a hard drive. Yeah. Or even these days, I mean, hard drives... Seem to be still almost part of the old vernacular. Still, well, I mean, the notion that oh, yeah, it doesn't mean yeah. it is really, <laughs> as long as it's somewhere you got access to. Yes, but I mean, still, hard drives. I, I, yeah, it's too, it's too expensive. I mean, hard drives are so cheap that it's, you know, it'd be ridiculous to do it on the web. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. That's going to be interesting to see how that pans out because ultimately, it really shouldn't be anywhere. It should just be somewhere out there. Yes, <laughs> yes. I mean, that's. You know, that's what we do with these recordings. I have endeavoured to back them up occasionally onto hard drives, but most of the time I'll only keep a single recording. I'll edit it, I'll put it up on the Internet yeah. Archive, and then it's in the ether, basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, well, I still back up. I'm paranoid about that, so I yeah. still backups of everything. <laughs> yeah, I guess I stopped doing that at some time. I mean, I still maintain... The whole notion is what's important information, though. I mean, this, these kind of metaphysical questions 
tend to, you know, limit the stuff that I No, it's just up. about how much trouble I want to go through and worrying about whether I lost. And it's just so much easier to just have a backup and I just don't even have to think about it. Yeah. You know, it's just not an issue for me. Actually, I've got four backups, four different backup systems. I just did today for the first time in about two months my external backup that I keep mm. off-site. Mm. I, I usually do it once a month, but it's been like three months since I did it. So yes. I did it I did it last night. And... Um, but I have that, and then I've got, uh, you know, what is it? Time, whatever the fuck it is, time, time machine. machine. Yeah, yeah, and and plus, I I make a boot, uh, a clone of my boot drive every night. Hmm. So, well, that's pretty hardcore, Heron. Well, I lo- yeah, what's going to lo- change after a week? I mean, why not do it every week? Why do it every night? Well, because you never know. Why not do it every night? I don't, it's nothing I do. It's all automatic. It just does it. I don't Fair have enough. anything to do with it. I never even see it. The only thing I have to do manually is my offsite backup because I. I I have to take the drive out of my car, bring it in here, and plug it in, and then, you know. Yeah. But uh, everything else is completely transparent. I don't even know what's happening. Yes. And it saved my ass several times over the years. Yes. You know, it really has to be able to – I can go back – well, yeah, it's great. Well, listen, we don't need a commercial for backup strategies. <laughs> it is, <laughs> talk, yeah. about, talk about getting geeky. I yes. Mean. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I'm fading fast here, and I think I'm probably going to have to call it a night because the movers are coming at the crack of dawn. That's right. Yeah, you got a big day ahead of you tomorrow. Get that's, that thing happening. And it's going to be done tomorrow, though. At the end of tomorrow, you have no reason to come back to the old place. Well, we're going to leave a few things behind. We're not cleaning out the refrigerator for a start, and there are a few breakables we're going to leave behind and come back and collect okay, probably so on the Saturday or the Sunday. But the majority of everything that's heavy... All and the heavy the, yeah, 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 we're getting that out. It's yeah. not that... I mean, like I say, it's, um, what, 10 miles away, so it's not that far. Yeah, yeah. If we need to come <laughs> so back and... It's got a couple days to get yeah. everything out. Yeah. And I'm very much... I mean, I try to minimize the stresses associated with these kind of moves. And, oh, yeah. You know, let's just get what we can done, and then let's yeah, come up yeah. and clean Moving up is remaining. one of the most stressful experiences people have. So, it's funny, yeah. actually, because prior to waking up on Tuesday morning and having half my body numb, the Monday... I was really, I mean, I've been getting very dehydrated in this move and I was absolutely exhausted, but also dehydrated on the Monday because I had a Monday's, Monday's my heavy meeting day as well. And it made me realize that I'm not, re- I'm, I've got to appreciate that my body's getting older. Like when I was in my twenties, I would just recover from this kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. And now I'm in my late thirties. I just can't recover yeah. as fast no, as I no, used to. I've got to right. start appreciating. Yeah. You got to start taking is, care of yourself. Yeah, exactly. Man, you know? yeah, yeah. It's important. And, and, well, no, I can't tell you. I'm, I'm still, well, I'm, I'm working my system. It's been working. So it's, it's mm-hmm. slow, but, but, you know, um, <laughs> do you have an exercise routine? Yeah. I'm okay, getting yeah. greater yeah. with, uh, with the distance. So. Well, almost anything you do is yeah. as long as you do it repetitively for, yeah. for that intention yeah. will work. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So yeah. just keep doing it or more of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, um, yeah, I certainly think the new place is going to, uh, motivate, you know, longer distances of motion. And I'm debating actually either. What about biking? Be, well, that's, that's what exactly what I was going to say. Ah, that okay. actually buying a bike would, uh, would be 40 minutes worth of solid 
politics. I, so I just saw study. an ad for a for a bike uh, yesterday. Uh-huh. A new, I don't know if I don't know if they're actually available yet, mm-hmm. but uh, it's it's integrated with an iPhone, so it's got GPS on it, mm-hmm. and it can plan routes for you, and mm-hmm. it's all built into the. And it's a cool looking bike, man. It's uh, you know it's it's it, it's expensive. It's like a thousand bucks, but that's actually that's a not, low that, end bike. Yeah, yeah, yeah days, that's not know? that much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, and I don't. I don't recall. I suppose if you did a search for, you know, new bike, uh, iPhone, GPS or yeah. something that you probably would find. And it, and it's red and black and looks really cool. Well, that's the most important point, Aaron. <laughs> Damn right it is. You know, it's one of the, listen, it's better that it looks cool than it looks stupid. Yeah. I mean, isn't it? And this is a beautiful, it's carbon fiber, very light, you know, that, that's probably most of the cost of it is the, the light frame. Yes. Anyway, uh, yeah, I, I was looking at that and thinking, you know, I, I might end up with a lifestyle where I can use a bike for most of my transportation. Yes. That would be nice, you know. So it's come to the part of the recording where you say what you usually say at this point of the recording, Heron. I mean, fuck all them language monkeys. Yes. That's the one, right? <laughs> no, that's not it. No, no, no. I don't mean that, actually. Language monkeys can wake up at any moment. And become earthlings. It's just, it's just, it takes two seconds. All you got to see is that the voice in your head is not who you are. It's just your language machine. Sometimes it's quite useful. Sometimes it's really bad. <laughs> the problem is to know the difference. <sighs> so I'll just leave it at that. Always a pleasure, Heron. I will hopefully be in the new location when I see Okay, you and that'll be on Thursday then. Maybe. Yeah, definitely. Oh, whatever. Maybe. Oh, listen, whatever it is, whatever we'll work it out. We yeah, tend to. Fine. Okay, bye. <laughs> see you, Heron. Have a yeah. good night.